this is your host, Aram Lukumuf, and you're listening to another episode of the Product Innovation Series, uh, where every show, uh, every week, sorry, my guests share their stories and wisdom on how to ship a great product. Uh, so today, I'm joined uh, with Jeffrey Green. Uh, he's the Director of Product and Design at Ninepatch. Uh, previously, he was um, a UX and product designer most of his career and had completed his uh, Master's of Architecture uh, at Harvard. Uh, Jeff, pleasure to have you on hey the there, show. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Good to be here. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, the first question I have is, you know, when we went through your bio before, um, you know, you come from more of a design background, which is which is great for this specific episode we're going to be talking about. But uh, first question I have is like, early on in your career, um, you you told us that you really wanted to be in the same room where decisions were mm-hmm. being made. Um, and so for the longest time, you know, I think it's been changing more recently in the last few years, but designers weren't typically part of those conversations mm-hmm. um, for like different reasons at the time. But I wanted to ask, how did you uh, get into those rooms eventually? So yeah, a lot of times, especially some of the old school people, uh, they think design is just sort of a coat of paint, you know, at the end of the process, um, which we know isn't isn't the case. And you know, Steve Jobs you know, had a lot to do with saying design isn't how it looks, it's how it works. Um, but, you know, when you, when you're the younger ones and there's, you know, older school people, they, they have their own biases. So for me, yeah, I always thought um, you have to be in the room where the decisions are being made. Uh, otherwise, you get it at, at the end of the relay race and you're like, oh man, why didn't they do this or why did they do that? So that was always something I, I just felt really early on. Um, and honestly, I was probably in the beginning a bit naive and not really someone who thought about like the politics in an office or something, um, and basically didn't really know when to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and sometimes that works, you know, it's risky. So sometimes it might not, but, um, you, you have to try and get on leadership's radar somehow. And, and hopefully if you have good ideas, you just try and figure out a way to, to get those heard in, in any venue possible. Um, and hopefully there's at least one executive out there who's open to hearing things, right? And because you might have, you know, people who are just worried about their own stuff or their own careers. Um, and, it, and if that is the case, then that's probably not a, play, a company you should be at anyway. So um, to me, it was, you know, take, taking a risk. And luckily, I had uh, an executive who was open to hearing things. And there was sort of after uh, one launch, there was sort of a big kind of 15 person meeting about what happened and feedback. Um, and I kind of opened my big mouth about a couple things. <laughs> and the next meeting ended up being three of us. So the CEO liked what she heard. Um, that was a risk. <laughs> But she liked it and she was like you know what you sound like you know you have a sense of things so it came down to me her and the cto to figure out what sort of version mm-hmm. two was going to be so it, it's a risk but you got to get on the radar and if if they're not a, uh receptive to that that's probably not a good place for you to be anyway so uh that that could be a red flag too oh amazing yeah thanks for sharing that and just in that example and maybe other ones um like you, you mentioned that there was an, you know, an, an issue with a certain release. 
or or whatever it was but i'm curious to know like what what was the message that was communicated at that time or maybe in other occasions that opened up their eyes and ears to mm. what design thinking or right you know thinking um thinking about design early on yeah. at the very beginning stages so um they they'd done some focus groups and then just got you know pages and pages of feedback and uh they were, were just sort of going down this list of like 200 different things i was like oh this button didn't was in the right place and they wanted to do this and a whole lot of you know some things were big a lot of ticky tacky things um and they were talking about okay well let's prioritize them and da 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 and i kind of raised my hand and i said it's like yeah we we could sort of attack them one at a time um but this is sort of like if you had a wall and there was like a hundred different holes in it do you spackle each one separately or do you just rip it down and put up new drywall um so maybe going back to my architecture metaphors um and and that <laughs> resonated because uh, we were going to just be spending a whole lot of time doing minor repairs and at a certain point right. you know if you buy a house that's a fixer-upper but if you find that it's too much then you just tear it down and start new um and luckily the the ceo she was sort of open to that thinking um and mm -hmm. also it you know hopefully it you know practically it works because you're gonna get a better outcome um instead of renovating you know just put up something new so i think that resonated um and luckily she was you know a good leader and and that that's a big part of it also you know we can say all the good ideas in the world but if you don't have a leader who's willing to take risks and things like that um then they don't go anywhere so in that in that case she mm -hmm. was she was a great leader and what was like the next action and did you go back to the, to the drawing board did you conduct the uh user mm -hmm. testing or the user interviews a bit differently yeah. so so for that uh, particular uh project and this happens all the time but before i came on so this was a, a relatively new company but they they'd been around for maybe nine months at that point and they'd made certain decisions uh mostly about their stack that kind of hamstrung mm -hmm. us a little bit um so it was this is about 2005, 2006. It was a very early movie download um, service. Uh, so it was Morgan Freeman, his his production company, partnered with Intel. He's really into science and technology. Um, and this is before iTunes was doing movies. You know, Netflix was still doing DVDs. Um, so it was real early on. And um, so so they made a decision really early to sort of build the stack on something called Ruby on Rails um, because the idea was that that would be able to power both the website version and a Windows Media Center, you know, TV interface. So they were really ambitious with trying to do that. But what unfortunately happened was we ended up with the worst of both worlds in, in the corresponding. So all the limitations of doing a remote control-based interface on a television we were stuck with that on the website uh and then you know vice versa so mm -hmm. basically we ended up separating them and severing them and saying you know what it's it's not worth it so let's just create a regular all html web app um for the web version and not worry so much about 
having sort of a, a unified stack. Um, so, and those are things, you know, certain decisions are made and some work out, some don't. Um, but like I said, she was, you know, a good enough leader that she recognized that a mistake was made. So we ended up blasting out the web, the web app version in like seven weeks, um, because we had the freedom to do it and it took no time and there's no way we would have been able to do all the other 200 changes, um, in that time anyway. So, so that, that ended up working. Okay. Nice. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. Um, next question I have is, you know, in a design role and like, you know, in, in, in different capacities, there's always that um, content or like the vision that is in a business pitch deck that gets put out to the stakeholders or to whoever it is. Um, and then it actually making it to the actual design. Mm-hmm. Uh, from your experience, what's been the most difficult part of making, you know, a business pitch idea or a deck a reality? Yeah, it, it's that's one of the biggest translations that I think um, we as product designers I think are are key to that process, and I think that's the the skill set we have is to visualize ideas. Um, and, and in a certain sense, I think good product designers are, are somewhat generalists and, and we have to have a sense of business and business strategy, sense of marketing, you know, always be an advocate for the user and the customer, um, and then be able to translate that to the technical people, the engineers. Um, so that, that I, you know, everyone, everyone always thinks that their job is the most important in the, in the company. Um, you know, marketing thinks they're important or sales or whoever, um, the difference is we're right. And we are the most important person in the company. Uh, but, um, being able to take ideas and visualize them, um, is a really important skill. Um, you know, the brain translates, uh, visual stuff 90,000 times faster than the written word. So that to me is sort of our secret weapon. And if we can do that and take, you know, ideas, um, visualize them so that they can be communicated really well. Um, that's where we sort of solidify our spot, you know, in, in the food chain. Um, and the, the, problem and that's why being in the room is so important right because if we're not then you get sort of this game of telephone that happens where you know maybe the execs you know had a had an idea about something and then it goes to to somebody else and then somebody else and then by the time the product people see it who knows how many biases have been inserted into that Mm -hmm. um so having a sense of of that whole process and being the one who's able to translate those things clearly and communicate visually, um, I think is that's our secret weapon. And so how do you actually, if we were to break that down, how do you do that? Uh, where you, you take the ideas, you, you visualize them, as you said, but what kind of, what kind of uh, approaches mm-hmm. do you take in order to make sure that you, you solution right, it right. up correctly? That, so that's, yeah. that's well thought so out. So I think it's, um, you start with the why before you can get to the what and then uh you know so so the why is what's the problem statement you know what are you what are you trying to solve what's the competitive landscape that's out there um who else is doing this is this a market that's emerging is it a mature market um 
you know, what are the, the benefits to solving those problems? Um, you know, so like what are the pain points and then what's the value in solving those things? Um, prioritizing those, uh, who are the, the personas, you know, that are using the product and there, there's so much, you know, sort of, you know, what we call, you know, user experience research, but I think calling it UX kind of minimizes it a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause people put that in the design category. So sort of subliminally think that is later in the process. Um, but to me, that's, that's the real important discovery, um, that needs to happen. And, you know, as a product person, I have sort of a, you know, template that I use that just has a whole lot of blanks. And Mm -hmm. if I'm presented with a new project, it's, it's like, okay, what do you have so far? And I hear from, you know, the executives, um, and I start filling in sort of my bingo card. And if some of those questions are answered, well, awesome. You know, if they have like really good biz dev people and, and that, then they've done that homework already, then that's great. And and I don't have to go do that. Um, if some of those questions are sort of ambiguously answered or maybe not even, then that's something I can say, okay, cool. You know, here's a couple of questions I have, you know, to sort of further the process. Um, and then again, if, if you have a receptive audience, they're like, oh yeah, that is good to think about. Um, and then once you start filling in those blanks, then it, it really, you, you start to get a good sense of, okay, what's the information architecture going to look like? What's, you know, the, uh, the UX flow is going to kind of look like. And one of the important things that I've, I keep discovering is trying to, um, think in terms of verbs is a very important thing. So as a product designer, a lot of times we think in nouns. And engineers, that all they think about is announce, right? I'm going to build this. I'm going to make this. Um, and flipping that into thinking about verbs, like what are what's the user trying to accomplish? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, just ter- term, you know, you know, using using verbs instead of nouns when you describe what the system is, instead of saying, oh, here's the reporting module, here's the uh, client identity module, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, here's how you do this. Um, is a good way to, to sort of translate between, um, you know, what, what the execs might want, what the users might want. Um, so verbs, that's always a really <laughs> good way to try and when you got to put the PowerPoint together, think about verbs. That's interesting. I've never heard that before in all the <laughs> conversations, think more in verbs than nouns. I like that. Um, okay. Um, I think you provided an example already before about that scenario with um, with a distribution product. Um, I'm, I'm curious to ask, you know, through other experiences that you've had, were there any other examples where things didn't go exactly to plan? And that could be for in discovery. It could be, you know, towards the end of delivery. Were there anything, were there any kind of standout moments you're like, oh, we should have done that differently? Uh, nope. Everything's always gone perfect. <laughs> always on, on, on time and under budget. Um, so the, the, um, yeah, so that movie download one, you know, was, was a really big one. Um, you know, and you know, depending on when you come into a company, you know, there's always going to be certain decisions, you know, that have already been made. Um, and you know, technical debt, you know, is, is just a bear. And, 
figuring out how to how to deal with those things is really really difficult um because those are those are sort of the invisible things um and everybody wants to you know add new features and you know do redesigns and whatever but if you have some kind of technical debt um you know you gotta switch up your stack or you know authentication systems or you know anything like that um it's really really hard because you got to put so much time and effort and resources into it and it doesn't look nobody can see a difference because it's sort of the under under the hood stuff um so that that's something always always struggling with um one of the ways to try and you know things just aren't ever going to be perfect and um i my, my wife helps me on this where I'd say like, oh, I don't, I don't want to feel like I, I don't want to lower expectations, right? It's like, okay, I, I want it to be great, I want it to be perfect, um, but I, I feel bad if I think that I'm lowering my expectations. And she, she said, don't think of it as lowering your expectations. Think of it as just having realistic expectations. So that that always helps me because you're just like, you know what? This is the hand we were dealt, and whatever I think, you know, doesn't really matter, you know, and nobody else really knows what what's in my head. So um, let's all just try and do the best we can with the hand we got dealt. Um, so just even you know, from a mental health standpoint, sometimes that's even more important than you know what the design is, like keeping yourself sane, you know, and not freaking out about <laughs> about what could have been. Um, so that that that's sort of attitude wise, I think is is an important thing to try and always keep in mind. Yeah. I recently, somebody said this to me or I read it somewhere is, um, if you don't communicate expectations, then they're just thoughts. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so true. <laughs> and it's hard, you know, especially building product. Like there's so many things in your head and in my head when it comes to building up, you know, the solutions that we create, but managing expectations across the board between like the team or the, you know, the board or the mm -hmm. leadership team is... It's hard. Yeah, um, yeah, and and differentiating between your internal expectations of like how great you want something to be, um, you know, are are usually going to be way higher than than everybody else's. So sort of differentiating mm -hmm. between you know, okay, well, these are my things that I'd like to do, but nobody else is expecting that. So you know, I, I shouldn't kill myself trying to do that. Like, make sure, okay, what what are the real expectations out in the world? Um, and then you don't have to be, you know, waking up at one thirty in the morning, being like, "Oh God, I got all this stuff to do." It's like, <laughs> try and relax. <laughs> yeah. Um, when we had a chance to connect last time, you said something which was really interesting, which I I try to say to my, my, our own clients and things like that. But you mentioned if you do discovery, product discovery, I'm assuming, um, you would know at the end of it exactly what has to be accomplished. And then when you get into the designs, you iterate very quickly mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what you're doing, and you rarely go backwards. And I, I could really resonate with uh, that uh, thinking. And so I wanted to ask you, what processes, tools, or frameworks mm -hmm. kind of help you get to the point of knowing exactly what you need to accomplish mm -hmm. at the end of discovery? Yeah, so kind of what we covered a little bit before this, you know, requirement customer requirements document that over the years of you know sort of kept improving and uh making a template for um 
being able to, to go through that, you know, and fill in those blanks and be like, okay, what's, what's the problem statement? What's, what's the value props, you know, all those things, um, really when you know those and you internalize those, um, and you get consensus on those from, from the other folks. So that's the other big thing, um, is not only are you trying to come up with all that, but, um, you get agreement on those things, then you don't get, you, you then don't have people second guessing you in the design phase saying like, Oh, well, what about blah? And you can say, no, look, we agreed that these were the, the top three priorities we were trying to accomplish. And that gets back to, you know, speaking in verbs. Um, this is what we're trying to accomplish and this is the order we're trying to do it. Um, and then if you can get consensus on that, cause what happens is, you know, everyone wants to see a mock-up way too fast. And then one of my biggest jobs, you know, is always like a limit, you know, pushing back on that, you know, saying like, Nope, we're not going, we're not jumping to, to what it looks like yet. You know, cause then you have people start saying like, Oh, well, why are you using that font? And you know, Oh, I don't like that color. And those are completely irrelevant, you know, to, to the real discussion. Um, so if you can get consensus, on the problem statement, the value propositions, the benefits, uh, the order you want to attack them, then you're like, oh, then you're good, you know, because because it's that's when you start moving backwards when when those things aren't agreed upon. Yep. Um, so you get consensus, you know what you're going for, and then you can start doing you know your your information architecture analysis, your user experience analysis, uh, creating sort of a, a pre wireframe where, where it's, it's verbs, you know, on, you know, like a list of, okay, what am I trying to accomplish on the launch screen? What am I trying to accomplish on this screen? Um, pushing the design part as far down the road as you possibly can. Um, and if you've internalized all that stuff, then once you start putting things on the screen, you know, in, in a prototype tool or something like that, you you know you know what's working and what's not um and it's a lot of times it's easy it's better to be able to say no to your own designs you know and you just keep iterating 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 yourself but once you get to something and you're like okay this is doing this this is doing that then mm -hmm. those things are really solid and then you can finally show show that to somebody um and be pretty confident that it's accomplishing what you all agreed on you know, a month before. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm curious to ask what, what are some things, um, what are some things that people never ask you that you wish they did about <laughs> product design or, or product management? <laughs> That's a really good one. Um, so, so to me, all of that process that we just talked about, um, I just find absolutely fascinating. Um, so if somebody, if somebody ever said like, oh, hey, Jeffrey, can I, can I see that mental model diagram that you were talking about? I would love it if somebody would ask me <laughs> to actually see some of that analysis. Cause I think that's, that's fascinating. And that's, that's the transition from ideas to, you know, reality. Um, and to, to me, mental models, you know, building mental models that of, of your users, um, is, is 
huge and it's something I, I try and keep up with uh, over and over. And, you know, sometimes you're fudging it, but as much as possible, if you can really, you know, you talk to users and interview them and stuff, and then you can create your own. Um, but to me, that's that's one of the most fundamental points where an idea starts to become reality. Um, so yeah, if somebody ever said like, Hey, can I see that mental model that you talk about all the time? I would love that, <laughs> but nobody ever does. <laughs> okay. Well, I might, I might ask you for it <laughs> after at the end of this uh, episode. Um, last question before we get into the fireside format, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you've been doing this now for a while. Uh, what are some core product design lessons or principles mm-hmm. that you keep coming back to? Um, there's, there's, there's a few, um, there's, I think it's a uh, product marketing tenant number seven, uh, your ideas while interesting are irrelevant. <laughs> that's a, that's always a good one. <laughs> um, what, one of my own is, uh, the more complex the problem, the simpler the solution has to be. Um, you can't, you can't chase complexity with complexity. Uh, so the more complicated something is, you have to really try and distill it down. Um, so those are those are two that I've you know in various back when we used to work in offices would have printed out and pinned up on my <laughs> on my cubicle wall. Um, I'm trying to think what wrote one more down. Um, no, I think I think those, those two were the big ones. I think the stuff we talked about with, you know, the why, knowing the why um, before the what, and then the what before the how, and then the how before the when, <laughs> you know, those are, those are the hard things. Cause like, you know, we see a lot of times, a lot of times they want to know the when uh, or the how right. first. So like the, the Ruby on rails, they, they started with the how um, without really understanding you know, how it would affect the why and the what. Um, so trying to sort of do things in that order and always looping back and, and questioning, you know, your, your executives, um, is, is something that's really important. And, you know, a lot of times they'll might think you're a pain in the ass and not be happy talking to you. But, um, like I said, hopefully somebody recognizes that that's important. important. Um, so yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Let's jump into the fireside format. So question, answer. Um, first question I have is how do you ask better questions in product? Mm. Uh, by, so I just read a book about method acting. Um, so I think I'd seen an article about it and it just seemed kind of interesting. Um, but as I was reading it, I thought about how it applies to what we do and you know, as, as you become a more of a mature designer, at least for me, you know, it's like early in your career, it's like, hey, look how clever I am, and look look how cool these ideas are, um, and then it it translates into more like trying to inhabit your users and like what are they? So so when I was reading the method acting thing, I was like, you know what, that's actually an interesting parallel. Um, so as far as getting better in as a product person, I'd almost say doing method acting of your users and really trying to inhabit their what they do and what they're trying to do 
take take your ego you know out of the equation and as much as possible so the project i work on now is whole person care so it's you know a lot of our users are you know people that work at food banks and you know in mental health and you know very different mindset for me um so actually almost doing like a an extra a method acting exercise where you really try and inhabit who they are and what their what their mindset is and look at it with those eyes um and that's something i'm just you know have just now been thinking through but you know being a, a advocate for your user is the product person's biggest role and um i thought that was a maybe an interesting sort of mechanism or exercise to try and do oh for sure i think it's a very interesting take on trying to get into the shoes of mm -hmm, the users mm -hmm. never heard that one before um the next question i have is that over over years what have you become better saying no to mm. um actually saying no to myself to to my own um so at you know again we said you know the product person we think we're you know the, the hub of the whole place um and always trying to sort of like make make the whole machine run smoother um so in doing that uh so at a previous place um our implementation person this this great woman from south carolina former nurse um they were taking like a hundred hours to implement a, a client and it was just forever and she's like oh it's taking so long and we were talking and because there's like a thousand questions to say like okay optional required hide this show this um and i said oh well you know maybe we we can make sort of a little you know uh cms content management system you know that can have default settings and then you can go down it and we can blah, blah, blah. so i worked on that with her and we created this this nice thing um and my boss at the time uh said you know what i love that you're trying to you know help the whole process because that's going to help the company but that's not your job and and you have to know where your boundaries are um because again as we're sort of generalists um we can help with marketing you know we can help with you know different things um so knowing where where my boundaries are and setting up that next person as well as possible but not spilling over and doing some of their work for them um is tough because it's always like hey if somebody else doesn't do their job we all suffer so okay fine i'll i'll help out um so it was really saying no to myself my own urge to be like because we're all problem solvers we like making stuff so if marketing or whoever says like oh we got to do a such and such for a booth you're like oh sure i'll help you know <laughs> but it's like oh, that's not really my job yeah raising your hand and helping out yeah it's it's tough i i get it um don't want to cross too many boundaries yeah, as you yeah. said right um okay next question i have is if you were if you could only spend five hours five hours per week in product what would you want to spend that time on i'd at of like this job like in uh, doing product yeah like if you, yeah i mean if you were to really focus on what you would want to mm -hmm. do in five hours if you only had five yeah. hours a week what would you want to spend your time on in product um making prototypes 
Like, okay. I, I, I can tell when my, my nerves or my, my mood isn't great. If, if I haven't actually gotten into Axure for a few days and if I've been living in spreadsheets and, and Jira, uh, and just doing sort of management work. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I need to sort of make something tangible. Um, so if I had to eliminate all that other stuff, um, I would, yeah, I would, I would keep Axure and get rid of, <laughs> get rid of everything else. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, any controversial views you hold in product? Uh, ooh, in product. Well, I would say universal healthcare for what we do, but you're in Canada, so that's not controversial for <laughs> you, but it is here, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. I mean, may, maybe, you know, what I've said about thinking that we're really the center um, and, you know, learning how to sort of trust the other team members and, and you don't necessarily have to be in every single meeting and, you know, to, to, uh, to us, you know, we think it all has to manifest in the product. So we need to be in those conversations. Um, but you, de you definitely have to trust, you know, the other people you're working with and, uh, it's not just going to be your vision all the time. Um, so as far as product goes that, um, generally that capitalism is a plague that's going to destroy us maybe as a somewhat controversial <laughs> <take> to some <laughs> people <laughs> that's funny okay um my next few questions are about um personal kind of things so what profession other than what you do now would you like to attempt um actually talked about this with my wife last night um so we've always i mean i uh, you know, love what I do. Um, so this is actually a harder question, uh, to answer. Uh, but something we, we sort of only halfway joke about is, um, having sort of a street food pub, like world street food pub. Cause she's an amazing cook and we make little snacky things and all different things all the time. And Rose like, Oh, we gotta put this one on the menu, you know, fried jalapeno, uh, bison burger slider or, you know, or, you know, mm. he's got dumplings or we love all different kinds of food and, and making things. Um, and we've always thought having a, a little bar where it's just all like that. street food snacks from around the world, uh, would be absolutely incredible. <laughs> I think that is an incredible idea. I don't think I've actually seen that before Yeah, as a concept. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, what is, one or two of the most worthwhile investments you've made to help your career? Uh, hmm. Uh, to help my career. Um, I mean, maybe, uh, feeling, not feeling the pressure to, have sort of a linear career. So when, after I got out of architecture school, I realized I didn't really want to be an architect because the, the, the culture of architecture is not great. Um, you're supposed to go work for free 
you know, for, for a big name architect for a year, um, out of, out of graduate school. So like people with masters are having to like, you know, do unpaid internships and, you know, that's a problem in journalism and in, in a, you know, Hollywood, you know, um, yeah. and it was just something about that, that I just didn't, didn't want to participate in, you know, and that this is a while ago. Now we understand that, you know, that, that then becomes sort of a self-selecting privilege where only, only the people that can afford to go, you know, work for no pay, then make their way up the ladder. Um, so I, there was always something that I, I just wasn't crazy about, um, with that. So, so maybe like investing in not actually having a real job and exploring, you know, different things, um, not in sort of a corporate ladder. I was, I was able to, you know, kind of live like that for a handful of years. Um, which I think added to, you know, being able to feel, you know, empathy for users like we were talking about. Um, you know, I came up through, you know, just, you know, white guy, you know, middle class, you know, went to college. It's a very, you know, select group of demographic. Um, and some of the other stuff that I did afterwards, I, you know, met lots of different kinds of people, uh, you know, punk rockers and rave people and you know, people that sort of started their own things and, you know, just learned, learned a lot about, you know, the world and that that's probably something that in retrospect, you know, really helps, um, with what I've ended up doing. Okay. All right. Uh, last question. Is there any one or two books that have greatly influenced what you do or who one you are? One or two dozen. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I was looking at my bookshelf earlier. Um, Edward Tufte, uh, Visualization of Quantitative Information. Like that just struck something. That's like, you know, first time you hear a Buzzcocks record or something. I was like, I saw that and I was like, what the heck? Um, so that's, that's like a Bible to me. Um, you know, moving sort of further on into product, you know, something like uh, From Good to Great, you know, by Jim Collins. And uh, there's a book called In Pursuit of Elegance by Matthew May. That, that's that I thought was really, really informative. Um, so on, on the product side, you know, definitely some of those. Um, and then kind of like we were just talking about on, on the sort of being a human being side, um, you know, reading about people who are not like, you, um, you know, so reading, you know, William Faulkner, James Baldwin, autobiography of Malcolm X, Bell Hooks, you know, any of those things that, you know, like the method acting thing, you know, where you can sort of see life through some other eyes, um, are really, really important. Um, you know, and there's not always a direct correlation to what you're doing, but I think in just sort of opening, opening your brain, you know, to other possibilities, you know, and not thinking that your way of thinking about the world is the right way or the only way is, is something that's really important. Um, so read, reading books about other people's experiences or, um, you know, it just makes you a generally a better human in general, but it also does, I think, make you a better product person as well. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Jeff, this was great. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. We are proud.